Hey, it's Matt Felser. Welcome to WTTS In Conversation, supported by Technology Recyclers. WTTS In Conversation, a bi-weekly podcast sharing 30 years of in-depth conversations with musicians from all genres and eras, emerging artists, and those who have contributed to the soundtrack of our lives. In this episode, recorded in 2011, Laura Duncan talks with the late Rick Okasik of The Cars after reforming the band for an album and subsequent tour that year. He also talks about his solo work and producing hit records for Weezer, No Doubt, and others, as well as his struggles with songwriting. I'm, I'm not a very good, uh, like, song craftsman. Um, I'm, not, I'm also not good at, at doing things on commission. Um, like, for instance, if somebody said, well, would you write me a hit song? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could never do it. I would just be lost. And now, WTTS In Conversation with Rick Okasik. Hi, Rick. Hi, Laurie. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I, I know you're so busy, and we really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Uh, nice to have you back with the cars. First time uh, in the studio with a band in, what, 24 years? Yeah, 20, 25, 23, 21. I don't know, but it's plenty. <laughs> wow. Move Like This, the name of the new album. That is out next Tuesday. Now, I know that you had a body of songs that you'd been working on, and what made you decide to take that collection of songs and present them with Elliot, Greg, and David? Why now? Uh, well, I guess life's short. Uh, that's one reason. Um, I felt like that, you know, I've. it's like a. I would not have to teach people how to, you know, like play the songs or get people that I don't know that well, you know, other musicians, and just have a potpourri of, uh, you know, independent musicians playing along with the record. I didn't want to do it all myself. And I kind of missed the guys, and I thought, well, I'll call them and ask them, because I knew that as soon as they walked through the door and we sat down to play, uh, it would be just a completely natural thing. Uh, and it would be just as if, you know, we, we hadn't even been apart. And that's exactly what it was like. Well, how do you think the reception has been from fans and the media? Um, so far, pretty good, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, so far it's been uh, pretty positive, and I'm kind of a little uh, shocked and surprised that uh, I'm waiting for the big... <laughs> it's like been almost too good, and I feel like, you know, maybe I'm just not reading the right stuff. <laughs> well, no, I think that you are. We're playing a couple of songs off the new album. I think they sound fantastic. Oh, good. Um, now, I want to take you back just a bit, and then I, I have a lot to ask about the new album. Uh, but talking about when you began, the Cars began back in the mid-70s and released one of the most focused and commercially successful debut albums in history with your self-titled. Now, it seemed that the success was immediate, but maybe you have just a little bit of a different take on the success of your debut album and uh, the band's acceptance in general. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the first album was... Uh I guess it, you know, ultimately was extremely successful. But um, for us, I think it—it uh, it was funny. I, that that album went station by station, state by state, city by city. Uh, in those days, back in you know '79, whatever, mm-hmm. and it was still a time when radio, you know, I mean, DJs could play what they wanted to. Yes, but, you know, and that was like, if if it wouldn't have been for that, uh, it probably would have never happened. Um, so that having that, you know, luxury was nice. But it got added little by little, you know, one station at a time. Uh, after we finished the record in London and came back, I thought it was just going to be like a kind of a local, you know, Boston kind of record. Uh, 
I really wasn't even prepared for it to be like played on the radio anywhere else or you know anything like that. So it was a big shock for for all of us that uh, it gathered so much attention. So that the story must be true. We've all heard the story of the DJ at WBCN in Boston playing the demo of uh, Just What I Needed, which grabbed the attention of Elektra Records and led to a contract. Is that really what happened? Yeah, that's totally what happened. Wow. Exactly what happened. So that, that was important, uh, the DJs picked their own music. Well, we had the, in Boston, we had the number one, on, on their radio, on BCN, it was the number one played song, or the number one requested song. Uh, and we didn't have an album out, or we didn't even have a CD. You know, we didn't have any of that stuff. It mm-hmm. was just a demo. So, yeah, of course, the record companies came after that. And, um, and you know, we were pleased but shocked, too. Do you remember the feeling and emotion of hearing your song on the radio for the first time? I kind of do, but it's hard to remember now, but I, I just, I think I was just totally shocked to hear anything on the radio that I had ever done. I guess you're just what I need, that's what I need. Now, how many years did you ride the success of the debut album? Um, you released your second uh, not too long after the first in, in memory, but uh, how long did that first album... You know, songs, all the songs from the album are still played on the radio today. Yeah. Well, I think that first album was on the charts for a couple of years, you know, at least in the top hundred. Um, so they did... They, I think they even stalled the second album a little bit because the first one wasn't kind of finished for them. Uh, for the record company kind of thing. We kind of had, uh, we already had the second album kind of done pretty soon after the first. I mean, not done recorded, but it was all written and everything. So even before it was, uh, the first album was a success, I think the the second album was already kind of written. So it wasn't like a big pressure for me. Well, you know, the sound uh, of the cars remained so consistent and very strong. You had six albums in 10 years, and, and I think all of those worthy of attention from fans and the media. But then Heartbreak City, a monster. And this is where MTV and the presentation of music videos really came into play for the band. Now, I really do consider the Cars innovators in this area of promotion in the 80s. It was a soundtrack to my youth. Uh-huh. What do you think that the music videos presented by the Cars did for that particular album and just the band in general? Um, it definitely propelled it in a big way. Um I remember when we finished, we recorded that record in London, and I remember the president of the label came over. We were It took a long time because we were doing it with Mutt Lang, who takes it an immense long mm-hmm. So uh, eight months later, <laughs> the guy came over. <laughs> Are you guys <laughs> going to ever finish this record? And then he heard it, and then he said, oh, well, um, well let's, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to just do like four videos right away. Before the record even comes out, let's just do four videos. So we just, when we got back to the United States with the record, we really just went in and right in a row did four videos. We did Drive, you, know, um, you might think uh, Magic, and uh, I can't remember, I think it was Why Can't I Have You, you know. Um, and you might think... It was the first one, and we did that right. because we saw a commercial on TV that was for the National Enquirer where there was a lot of cut-and-paste stuff. Mm-hmm. But we said, well, who's, who's, who are those guys? We'd like to do that Mighty, Mighty Python sort of cut-and-paste thing. <laughs> it worked very well. Yeah, so they so we did that, and that became the video of the year. 
But it was cool for us because MTV was wanting videos. Uh, they were calling our manager and saying, so, okay, you gave us three, but don't you have four or six more? Because we don't really have enough material. Yeah, I remember the rotation being uh, the most popular videos like once an hour. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you're in history, as far as that goes, for winning the very first uh, MTV Video Music Award for uh, Video of the Year, you might think, right? Yeah, that's true. You might think it's foolish What, who made the decision that this was the road to take? Because a lot of artists at that point were saying, ah, videos cheapen my music. But, but really, the cars embraced that. I was saying it, too, you a were. lot. You know, I was, like, really against doing videos in, in the beginning. Um, I really kind of had to be talked into it. But um, I, I, know, I know people were saying that. And, and I could see their point, you know, because let the imagination flow. You know, don't show people what you want them to hear. Mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess a way around that kind of sometimes is just do a live video. But, but you know, we ended up doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, some were, some were really cool and some were really suck. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the way it goes. But I, I really do think, I mean, when I, when I think back to that age and that era of videos, that the cars, your videos were all entertaining. Oh, yeah. In some fashion. Very, very well done. And I think Timothy Hutton uh, directed or produced one of yours, right? Yeah, I did the video drive, yeah. And we'll return to Rick Ocasek in just a moment. WTTS In Conversation with support from Technology Recyclers. What happens to your obsolete electronics? It's estimated that only 18% of all electronic waste is properly recycled globally. This harms the environment, wastes natural resources, and pollutes our landfills. You should be recycling your computers and electronics. Technology Recyclers has the solution. With their R2 certification, they guarantee 100% data destruction. Their state-of-the-art shredding and separation system ensures nothing ends up in landfills. They're Hoosier veteran-owned and always free to you and your company. Visit Technology Recyclers on the web. We now return to WTTS In Conversation with Rick Ocasek. Now, I was heartbroken. 1988, cars announced, you're breaking up. Uh-huh. Uh, now, since that time, you have given us many solo albums, uh, produced albums for Weezer and No Doubt and Suicide and Guided by Voices. There's so many. You are considered one of the greatest producers. So many people have praised your work in this area. What is your biggest passion in regards to the roles you play in association with music? Well, my passion is a songwriter. Okay. I mean, that's, that's me. Uh, I, I'm, that's always been, you know, that's always been the thing that I was fir- firstly wanting to do. Um, it was always the thing I was involved in. And any of the other stuff could have just, uh, you know, not... not been there um and also uh secondly love the technology and the actual you know art of making albums um and i always followed bands that i thought were artful um even uh you know if i wanted to produce things i wanted to make sure that they were you know legitimate real bands you know real with something really to say and very different um I, I think you underestimate yourself. You're not just a songwriter. You write hits. 
<laughs> you know how to write hits. And what does, do you, do you sit down? I don't even know the process because I'm just not that creative. You sit down and you, and you have a thought in your head and everything that you write is very hooky, very catchy, uh, involves a lot of integrity, but it gets to the point and it's, it's, you know, you can pick hits off every album from the cars and, uh, you know, songs that you've written on your own. Yeah. I know, but I don't know how I do that, to tell you the truth. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not a very good, uh, like, song craftsman. Um, I'm, not, I'm also not good at, at doing things on commission. Um, like, for instance, if somebody said, well, would you write me a hit song? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could never do it. I, I would just be lost. Um, I think it maybe it's just uh, because of, maybe it's because of quantity. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I right. sit down to write, I might write 30 songs. And maybe just four of them might be, you know, appealing to the masses, you know, uh, in a hit way, you know. But I don't really know what, which ones they will be, nor do I have any kind of formula for, for doing it. Well, the new album, Move Like This, it was produced in part by Garrett Jackknife Lee. Uh, now, how did you come to the decision that Garrett was the one you wanted for this project? We waited so long for this, and it must have been, you know, you had someone in your mind exactly what you wanted the album to sound like, and you came up with Garrett. Yeah, I did. I, I had, uh, he was the only producer I had in mind, um, and uh, didn't even know if he knew who I was or knew who the cars were. Um, I sent him an email and asked him if he'd be interested in recording a few car songs with the cars, the remainder of the band, you know, and... And he sent back such a flattering email that I thought, wow, this must be the guy. But also loved what he did with Snow Patrol. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mostly it was really about Snow Patrol. I kind of thought that that had a little bit of a Carsey touch to it. And, um, and But I just liked the sounds he got a lot. I thought he sounded like he did a really modern job with it. And I thought, well, you know, he's the most modern-sounding guy I hear around these days. Um so I'll ask him. You know, I've listened to the album a few times now, and I really do get a sense of familiarity, but there's also a very definite progression and forward movement with the band's sound. It has to be difficult. How difficult is it to keep that balance intact with just enough comfort uh, while still presenting a sound in touch with 2011? Um, well, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, we didn't try to... Uh, it's just kind of, you know, when you rehearse and everything and, and you put that band together with those particular people in it, it just kind of comes out like it is. You don't really discuss, like, whether it sounds old, new, borrowed, or blue. You know, right. you just kind of do it. And um, I think maybe I'm thinking there's way too much thought involved. It's just a creative process that flows, and what is, is, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I understand. Thank you. <laughs> Now, I, uh, I remember back in 2000, uh, the loss of Benjamin Orr, it was just, it was heart-wrenching uh, for all of us as fans. I remember announcing that. I was actually on the air at the time, and I can only imagine the sense of loss you felt. And still feel for Ben, who was a trusted member of your family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the band collectively decided not to replace Ben on bass with a new member on this album, but rather to have Greg take that role, which is a very, very classy move. Yeah. Um, Even though you have the comfort of looking over and seeing Greg in that role instead of a new member, it it must have just been very tough to get in the studio with the cars for the very first time uh, without Ben. Yeah, it was. It was... was, uh it was in the studio, and it also was at rehearsals. Um, 
you know, when we first started to rehearse, I mean, nobody really mentioned it, but, uh, but like, I know that when I looked around, I noticed that there wasn't enough people. Right. Like, one missing, for sure. And, you know, his input on, like, you know, vocals, and uh, which are extremely important, and, and uh, you know, bass and all that was, it, it was, it was a little nuts, but, but we actually, uh, you know, we, I didn't think of it, of, like, even, we certainly didn't want to, re- we were never going to replace them. Uh, it just had to be either the four or nothing. Um, and, but I didn't really look at it like, okay, well, Greg's taking his place to play the bass or, because it could have been right. Elliot or exactly. me or anybody could have played the bass. The bass was, the bass part was not, you know, that was just a sound and a part, you know, of a, of a makeup of a, of an arrangement. Um, but, but the vocals and, um, because you can duplicate a bass. Right. You can't duplicate vocals and mm-hmm. duplicate personality. Uh, you know, people could, uh, you know, duplicate an instrument. Um, and it was both Jackknife Lee and Greg that uh, played bass on the album. Did they actually use Ben's bass? Yeah, they did on some stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think somebody brought it. I think David, uh, the drummer, had one of Ben's basses, and I think he just brought it along as to use for an extra bass. And I think they ended up using it on a couple of songs, the actual bass. So So Ben's a part of the new album. I love that. (laughs) How comfortable are you on stage, even even with all the success and all the touring that you've done? Are you comfortable on stage? (laughs) I don't think I'm I don't think I'm an entertainer. (laughs) Oh, we we beg to differ. We believe that you are. I think I'm uh, I think I can play the songs. Um, I think I'm I'm not good at prodding the audience. you know, I'm sort of not like that kind of a... I've been playing for like, you know, 35, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's 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 pretty second nature to, you know, play in front of people. It's, it's not about that. It's really just uh, not having kind of uh, a show business kind of attitude towards the whole thing. It's more like, you know, play the songs. A lot of bands I love... Uh, you know, uh, it's just, I guess it's just, a, you know, some people are really good, like, at performing, um, but I'm really better as a songwriter. Uh, I'd be like the songwriter who's singing a song, you know, singing the song. Now, lastly, but probably most important, how's the family? You have six kids, right? My family? Yes, your family. Oh, my family's wonderful. Just absolutely wonderful. Grandchildren? Um, I have grandchildren and everything, yep. I have wow. a whole bunch of them. Well, congratulations on, on a long marriage and a very happy family and, and your career. That's um, sweet. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for getting back with the cars. As fans, we are thrilled, and I'm going to travel up to Chicago. I'll see you on the 18th. Wonderful. I can't wait to see you then. The new album from the cars, Move Like This, it's due next Tuesday, May 10th. Rick, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Have the best day of your life. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. WTTS In Conversation with support from Technology Recyclers. Subscribe to this podcast and find more information at WTTSFM.com. I'm Matt Pelser. Thanks for listening.